Diane Parenti, if she will join me up here. We come to this marvelous passage that talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And as I was praying about who could share with us, again, in a fresh way, what does it mean to put on the armor of God in times of trial and, and difficulty? I remember, well, I remember Diane, and I asked her if she would share some of her story of what it is to engage in spiritual warfare, uh, especially when you feel weak. So, Diane, thank you for coming today. Good morning. John called a few weeks ago, and he asked, uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to be preaching on the, bat, the uh, armor of God in a couple of weeks. Can you think of anybody in our church who maybe has gone through a really hard time and maybe could share this story about how they put on the full armor of God? And uh, I started thinking, tossing out a couple of names. I said, well, let me think about it. So for about a week, it was gnawing at me, at my soul, and I was thinking, I know I, ha I have a testimony. And I gave it like a couple more days, and I called John back up, and I said, uh, did you find anybody to do that testimony? And he said, uh, I, I really don't know the answer. I really never got a straight answer. So anyway, here I am. Here I, am. I, I guess he was thinking of me. But um, anyway, just to start, there's only two things, uh, two things that I've learned that you could be sure of in life. The old saying, two things you could be sure of in life, and that's death and taxes, right? But whoever made that up is really wrong because there's a third thing that you could be sure of in life that I've learned and that's battles. We all face battles, they're guaranteed, we all face challenges. And I've learned that you can either be prepared for the battle that's certainly gonna come your way, or you could be unprepared and just, you know, hope for the best and kind of wing it. So the Bible says to armor up, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then the promise, after the battle, you will be standing firm. So I have to confess that many battles I faced un unprepared and I was very lazy about it and only by God's grace did he protect me and get me through it and many times um, with consequences that weren't so comfortable. So I'm gonna go back to one time seven years ago where I actually was prepared and ready when I faced a battle. We were uh, expecting our third child and we had all the joys and the normal anticipation and about the fifth month, trouble came one night and by the time I had visited my doctor the next day, it was too late, my water had broken and he just sent me right off to the hospital. Um, the baby was showing signs of life, but unfortunately at 18 weeks, the lungs are not fully developed yet. So this was gonna be a stillborn birth. And all I could remember doing was crying out to God and uh, asking him to be with me and fill me with peace because I was really rattled with anxiety. And the nurses who helped me there were just absolutely wonderful. They were gracious and very compassionate. And after the baby um, was, was born, um, the size of a little grapefruit, they swaddled the baby and they, I asked to hold the baby, which I did, and swoosh, a whole pouring out of peace upon me. It was like God was in the room with me. And 
couple of weeks, the baby was sent out for pathology tests and results came back and the baby had been a very healthy baby. There was really no explanation for this and the for, the, for the loss and the doctor said, just treat it as an act of God and uh, feel confident, you know, try again. So during the next few months, I was grieving naturally. I was very discouraged and very defeated and I was searching for comfort. And I found great, great comfort in praying reading my Bible, writing down scriptures that I could continue to reflect on. And um, it was just healing. And at the same time, I did not know it, but I was armoring myself up again for the next battle that was to come. So a few months go by, and surprise, you know, I'm pregnant again. So the doctor labels me high risk. And he watches me closely, and we have sonos every week, and uh, doctor's visits, and after about 16 weeks, he says, Diane, you look good on the outside. He says, but your insides don't look good. He says, your, the, the uterus, your lining, and your uterus is thinning out. It's never going to support the weight of a full-term baby. You need to elevate your legs and sit. Um, for the remainder of the pregnancy, I was a very good patient. I knew what could go wrong, and at about 21 weeks, I found myself in the emergency room. I was contracting three minutes apart. And I didn't know it, but the doctors and the nurses were already prepping a labor and delivering room because they really didn't have any confidence. But they did uh, pour IV into me and hydrate me, and they medicated me um, in the hopes to stop the contractions and to slow them down, and it worked. So they admitted me, uh, where I spent five days in the hospital. And during that time, the doctor advised me. He really wasn't optimistic. He said, this is uphill, and it's bleak. And you would need to stay in bed the remainder of the, the next five months, because contractions are going to be in, imminent. I don't think I can um, control them or manage them for you. And what's more concerning is the challenges a very premature baby will face You know, could be lifelong. So he said, you could just legally at this point terminate and nobody would blame you and uh, or you know I'm there for you if you want to go through with this and you have to understand if you know me you know that I'm a control freak my husband could tell you that I like to <laughs> I like to line up all my ducks in a row I like to know what's going on the next hour the next day the next week so this is completely out of my comfort zone to get into bed have everybody else manage my life and not know what's going to ha be happening the next day or so so when the doctor presented me with these suggestions, uh, my human nature would be to say, yeah, absolutely right. This is not for me. This is my comfort zone. And instead, I spit out, you are not the author of life. And that is just, I get chills because that's just the word in me that was planted in me that I had been reading. They said, you are not the author of life. I am not the author of life. He is. He has a plan. It's not up to us what date this baby should come. So we're going to leave it up to him. He said, fine, uh, Mother's Day. Five days later, I was discharged, bed rest, meds to be taken every four hours, weekly follow-ups. And I have to say, the next five months, there were several trips back to the emergency room. Um, it was a tough time, very tough time. But I would read, and I would pray, and I would write my scriptures down in my journal. And every time I felt a contraction, and I felt so anxious, my mind and my heart were conditioned to know the truths of God because I had been spending so much time in the Word. 
and things would pop, scripture would pop out, and it would, it would, I would hear, you are not alone, I am the I am, um, the battle is mine, what we just sang, um, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and God is so good, because when I was battling, and I was really fatigued, of course, he would send in the backup, he'd send in the army, which is his church, and many of you came in, prayed with me, visited, and Pharaoh crawled into bed with me one day, was reading Psalms to me. We had people taking my kids on overnights and taking them to their baseball games. And I had people from the community who, I, I guess they were unchurched people, but God used, used them. They were inspiring me and offering their help. And uh, people would say, how are you doing this? And I would say, not on my own strength. And if they gave me a few minutes, I'd have them sit with me right next to my bed and I'd share with them what I was going through and how, God, how good God was. So 36 weeks of gestation for a baby is the point where the lungs are developed and it's a safe time and the baby can come and 36 weeks came and it went, no baby. 37 weeks came, went, no baby. The doctor was talking to my stomach saying, you can come out now. <laughs> 38 weeks, Andrew, seven pounds, 11 ounces, 20 inches long, healthy baby boy, thank God. And uh, we named him Andrew because so many people had prayed for him. And again, people really impressed me, people who I never really had a conversation about God with. I don't think they might have gone to church all that much. They would approach me and say, I went to church today and I lit a candle for your baby. And I remembered the story of Andrew, the disciple in the, in the Bible, and how he spent, one of the first disciples, he spent the day with Jesus, the Bible records, and he was so impressed, he ran, got his friends, said, you gotta come listen to this guy, Jesus, I just met and all he has to say. And I said, my son's gonna be named Andrew because he brought so many people to Jesus. So many people were praying for him. So lastly, following the following year, I learned uh, that my small, Massapequa obstetrician, private practice doctor, had been chosen as one of New York Magazine's top doctors, was published in New York Magazine's annual list. And he was the only one of 10 obstetricians on Long Island who was listed there. And it just evidence again to me, God showing me, I put you in the best hands, you're my child. So my grandmother used to say, the bigger the battle, the bigger the victory. And I get to see my victory medal every day and it reminds me of the time that I chose to armor up. Um, and, and, and when the battle ended, I was standing firm. And it wasn't by my strength or by my power, but it was by his spirit. So whenever you see my Andrew, Andrew is back there, wave, say hello to everybody. Be encouraged and uh, remember my battle and remember how you can stand firm when you armor up. Thank you. Every time I see Andrew, I'm going to remember that, how precious that is. Hear the word of God from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted from the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In all, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So far, the reading of God's word. Mike, on the Buffalo Drive, number 27, if you would bring up uh, the PowerPoint for me, I would appreciate that. And you can send Sean up with my little clicker in just a moment because I am going to have a PowerPoint and I forgot to tell you. I apologize for that. I want to introduce to you one more time our friend from the middle school classroom who, um, I don't know, have you guys ever named him? Jamie, Austin? Okay, well, we're going to have to come up with a name. Maybe we'll have a contest uh, to name this fellow. But this is the armor of God here. And, and what you have is um, a medieval knight. This is not the way the Roman soldiers dress. This is more from the Middle Ages. But um, here you have the helmets and the breastplates and the sword and the boots, you see. And um, what we are taught in the Bible, as Diane testified so powerfully, is that God prepares us for the spiritual battles we face by giving us armor to wear. Because, as Diane said, there's one other thing you can always be sure of. Death, taxes, and battles. Life is war. It is. I would prefer to tell you that life is peacetime. Again, I told you a few weeks ago, isn't that why people move to the suburbs where it's safe and where life is easy and happy and perfect? But it's not. You can be assured, assured of facing spiritual battles. The church faces battles. The church gets under attack. If you have a family, your family or your marriage falls under attack. And you personally, you personally fall under attack. How does the church fall under attack? Sometimes there's heresy and error and confusion and divisions in the life of a church. Sometimes there's apathy and indifference in the church. And all of these things are spiritual battles for a church. In your family, you'll find a season where people are arguing just all the time. And there's just this Anger right below the surface, bubbling over. And what's going on? What's going on is a spiritual battle. You might not see it. It's spiritual warfare is going on in your family. That's what all the static is about. And your, your spouse is maybe tempted with immorality or is struggling in certain ways. There's, it's a spiritual battle that's going on in your family, with your kids, with your parents. And with you personally, there are battles personally where Satan, who is the tempter, who is the liar, who is the accuser, is coming and shooting what we read about flaming arrows at your soul. 
I've said it many times from this pulpit. There is a war going on out there, and it is a war for your soul. You're under attack. And you don't just say, oh, well, my family's dysfunctional. There's nothing we can do about it. You don't just say, oh, well, I'm just a big sinner. I'm stuck in a rut. There's nothing I can do about it. You can't say, my marriage is cold and and stinks, and there's nothing I can do about it. Those are the lies of the devil. And instead you need, as Diane said, you need to armor up and be prepared for the battle and engage the battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And I love that this is both a command and a promise. Command, armor up, and a promise. And you will stand. So... Here's you go. Here you go. Here's one of the drawings that um, uh, uh, one of the kids in my old church made of the armor of God. And there you see the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the, the, uh, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Now, If you're going to understand the belt of truth, which is the first thing he tells you to put on, then you need to remember what we have learned in our, this is our 27th week in our study of the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to open the fire hydrant just for a moment. You ever see that down in the city? The kids open the fire hydrant and the water shoots out over them and they squeal with delight and laughter as it shoots out with great force. What did we learn? Once... Before we were in Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, under the dominion of Satan, objects of God's wrath, separated from the life of God, foreigners to the people of God, aliens to the covenants of grace, denied the gospel ministry, infants in any spiritual truth, and we were old. We had an old self that dominated us. But now... And we were darkness. But now in Christ, we're not dead. You are alive in Christ. You are seated in the heavenly realms. You are not objects of His wrath. You are now called His glorious inheritance. You have been brought near. You are made fellow citizens with the people of God. You have been adopted into His household. You understand the gospel mystery. You are maturing in Christ as days, weeks, and months go by. You are the new self created in Christ Jesus, and you are light. This is the truth about you, who you were, and now who you are. So, he says, wear the belt of Christ's truth. And the first thing you need to put on, the first way to armor up, is to know truth. Some of us during the Sunday school hour were learning how to do inductive Bible study. It's one of the most important things you will ever do in your Christian life, is learn how to answer questions from God's Word. The the questions that the Bible naturally raises, and you learn how to answer them. What does it mean to be a father, to be a mother? What does it mean to deal with my guilt? What does it mean when I'm tempted to lie and cheat in school? What does it mean when I'm filled with fury and wrath? What should I do? Where do you answer those questions? 
See, how was Diane prepared to answer her doctor that day? She had known the word of God. She had on the belt of truth. And she was ready. Truth performs this crucial function in spiritual warfare. Now, we live in such a feeling-oriented world. People are so concerned with, how do I feel? How does that make you feel? And, well, you know, God made us with emotions. Feelings are important. Feelings are legitimate. But so many people only want to answer the question, how do I feel? Rather than the question, what is the truth? What does God's Word say about the circumstances? Not just how do I feel about the circumstances. And this is why Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when he was praying for you in John 17, he's down on his knees in front of the disciples, and he says, Lord, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, we need to know the truth of God. I, I tell you, I, I've been in many churches and in lots of ministries and where people do all kinds of spiritual warfare, and and, you know, there's yelling at the devil, and there's screaming, and there's hooting and hollering, and, oh, okay, you got, you got to get your energy and engage in spiritual warfare. But you know what? Spiritual warfare is not so much of a power encounter as it is a truth encounter. That's what he teaches us right here. Spiritual warfare is a truth encounter. When temptation comes your way, when accusation comes against you, when you are drawn toward lies, and you know they're lies, but you want to believe them because it'll just be, life will be so much easier if I believe the lie. What you need is the belt of truth. What your children need, what your children need, moms and dads, is the belt of truth. They need to know God's word. Because the Word of God exposes the lies of the devil, like cockroaches. When you turn on the light, the cockroaches scatter. Now, when I was uh, in junior high, I delivered newspapers. I was up every morning, 5.30 in the morning, out delivering newspapers. I had my news route, and I had that bag, you know, on the side. and I put the newspapers in the people's screen doors, you know. You get better tips if you go up. And, and the first day, I went to this one house, and all of a sudden, this dog comes racing around the back of the house, coming at me, yapping away, barking away, growling at me, and I, my adrenaline started to flow, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and, and, all, and I just turned, and there was a tree right there, and I swung myself up into the tree, and, and it was this little dachshund. <laughs> little dachshund. Yep, 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 really angry at me. And I, and I calmed my, calm myself down in the tree, and he's going, wah, 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 wah. and then I said to myself, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this dog could not throw me up in the tree. He could not force me into the tree. I just believed that I needed to get away from this dog. The fact of the matter is, this was a stupid little dog. I jumped down out of the tree, and I went, boom! And the dog went, wah, 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 you know? 
way. But, but I was believing a lie about this dog. I thought the, uh, could I say the dog made me go up in the tree? But the dog didn't make me go up in the tree. I was believing a lie about this stupid dog. And you see, um, I, I, this it was not my greatest moment, but, but um, you know, I can look back over my life. Did I tell you guys the story? My cousin Pete and I were fishing down in Tennessee and uh, got up one Sunday morning. We went out and we were going over to the catfish pond and there were these pigs. And these pigs started chasing us. Pete and I, we're running like this. The pigs are after us. We jump over the fence and the pigs stop. And we go fishing. We're catfishing. And then my cousin Janie, I was about 15 at the time. My cousin Janie was... Uh, like 10, and she's walking across the field to come get us because it's Sunday morning, time for church. All of a sudden, the pigs started after Janie. And Pete and I both started screaming at Janie, 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 the pigs are coming. Janie, get out of there. The pigs are going to get you. And she turns around and, at the pigs, and she goes at the pigs, and the pigs turn and run off. And we were utterly humiliated, Pete and I, big Pete and I. Why? She knew. She knew that those pigs were just hungry. They thought it was feeding time. She'd come to feed them. That was all. And when she dissuaded them to go away, they went away. She knew the truth. Pete and I didn't know the truth. Again, not my finest moment to be shown up by my 10-year-old cousin. But you see, friends, we need the belt of truth. Because the devil... The devil wants to deceive you into thinking you are a prisoner of sin, you're a victim of your past, and there's no hope for change in your life at all. That's what he wants you to believe. And unless you get on the belt of truth, you're going to just give in. You say, well, you know, life stinks and life is hard and this is just the way i got to live. Have you ever heard of the celebration known as Juneteenth? Has anybody ever heard of Juneteenth? Juneteenth is a great celebration down in Texas. And it, and it is about the day in uh, June 19th in 1865 when the Union Army finally arrived in Galveston, Texas to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation given by President Lincoln. For two years, for two years, the Emancipation Proclamation had been given. The slaves had been freed. But no one had told the plantation owners in Galveston. And no one was there to enforce it. And so the Union Army showed up and they said, we are here. We are late, but we are here to enforce this now. And the slaves were told, you can stay on the plantation, but you are to be employees and paid for your time, or you can leave of your own volition, and you are free to go. And they left, and they went north, and they went to the other cities. The Emancipation Proclamation had already occurred. They were already free, but they didn't know it, and they didn't live like they were free. Well, the same is true for you and me. Christ is risen from the dead. Satan has been conquered He's just like this yapping little dog who wants you to just be scared. 
Put on, he says, the belt of truth. Study God's word. I send out these daily soaps. I don't care if you do my daily devotional that I send out to people in our congregation. If you're not on it, let me know. I'll send it to you via the email. But somewhere along the line, you need God's word stored up in your heart so that you're ready for the battle. The second thing is that you wear the breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. In place, that's very important. You see, Paul tells us that uh, we need this, this armor right here to protect the vital organs of the human body. In the Roman soldier's world, there were these short swords, and they had either chain mail or a piece of iron flat across their breast in order to protect the heart and the lungs in battle from the stabbing of the short sword. And you need righteousness to cover your heart. But here's the problem. The Bible says in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We talked about this in the Sunday school class. We talked about the fact that even our good deeds are corrupt and polluted, that we are not righteous in and of ourselves. So what is the solution? Paul describes, he says, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed, a righteousness that comes by faith. And Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, listen to this, listen carefully. But whatever was to my profit, that means all the righteousness that I had, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, listen carefully, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. This is what we call, so what we call imputed righteousness. There's a new word for some of you. Imputed or reckoned or credited righteousness. Christ's credited righteousness to your account is the breastplate that protects your heart. And why is this so important? It's so important because you still sin. Because you still think unrighteous thoughts, speak unrighteous words, and engage in unrighteous acts. Oh, oh, God is sanctifying you. God is making you new. Don't get me wrong. You are new in Christ, but you, we still fall. And then the devil comes and says, how could you be a Christian? Who are you to call yourself a Christian? What kind of fine example are you? And it's this most sick, isn't that the most sickening feeling in the world? What do you need right then? You need the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. And you claim the righteousness that is not your own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes by Christ and is received by faith. You wear that breastplate of Christ's righteousness. And what do you know? He begins to work a new righteousness in your soul and a new obedience in your life. And that's also the breastplate of righteousness. But you need Christ's righteousness. And then he says, you wear the war boots, which he calls the gospel of peace. 
Listen to this in verses 14 and 15. With your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And the Roman soldiers had their issue. Uh, these these uh, shoes were like football cleats. They had little nail studs on the bottom of the soles of their feet. And remember how the Roman soldiers would march forward and they would just clash with the oncoming army and there would be this push, there would be this pushing battle. And guess what? Who would win? The Roman soldiers would win. They had cleats on. The other guys are sliding and slipping back and they couldn't hold themselves. The Roman soldiers would dig in. They were standing firm with their shoes fitted. And here's what he says needs to be on your feet. The gospel of peace. Peace. Isn't that interesting? For spiritual warfare, in the middle of warfare, one of the most important things for you to have is peace. Yes. Yes. The peace of God as the arrows are shooting by your head. The peace of God. For we are told in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how you get peace in your life. Pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, does that give you peace? Some of you? Is it? You get peace? How do you get peace in your life? Um, uh, crossword puzzles or playing with your friends? The Bible says we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. A relationship with God will give you peace. I remember the day, the day I, I had my sins lifted from me. Now, some of us, we, don't, we can't mark the date when we became a Christian, but, but some of us can. I still remember. I got up kneeling on that floor with that guy who prayed with me to receive Christ because he showed me the... The cross was the solution to the holiness of God and my sin. And I tell you, I'm not sure, but I think I floated home. About a mile away, I walked home. I think I floated the whole way home. Because my sins were forgiven. And as an 18-year-old young man, I had a lot of sins already that needed to be forgiven. And they were lifted from me. They were put on the cross. And I just, have you, can you relate to that most wonderful moment? The peace of God, peace with God, and then there's the peace of God. And remember Jesus, <laughs> I love this, before Jesus left on that last night, he breathes on his disciples. I don't know if it was a sweet breath or what, but he breathed on his disciples. <sighs> you remember what he said? My peace, I leave you. Not peace as the world gives. Shalom. Do you know the shalom of God? It's a kind of a well-being, a satisfaction that you have a relationship with your heavenly Father. And the stock market can crash and bad news on the radio and you open the newspaper and there's all kinds of problems in Nassau or Suffolk County. And you have shalom. The peace of God in the midst of the battle. Diane is lying in bed for months and she has shalom. And we would visit, we would read scripture. She had shalom. Do you have shalom? 
well-being. My heart is at rest, like a weaned child rests upon his mother. So my soul is at rest in God. Philippians 4, 7, it says, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard. It's as though there's spiritual warfare going on, and yet he will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know, I think it's tragic and when I, and here I'm confessing my own weaknesses and sins to you, I think it's tragic that we Christians who understand we have peace with God because of Christ and His work on the cross, we still wake up in the middle of the night fretting and whining and tossing and turning and, and not and we don't have the shalom, we don't have the peace of God, but we need that peace of God. Our shoes, our feet covered with the gospel of peace. And you know what I, do, what I do when I wake up in the night and I start fretting and worrying? I go to my feet and I say, feet, be at peace. Shalom. Put on the shalom of God. You are for me. Guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And then he says, take up the war shield, the shield of faith in Christ. This is not one of those puny little swords that some of them wore on their, on their forearms. The shield that the Roman soldiers, especially the men of Sparta, took were like four feet long and three feet wide. And they were laminated wood with leather and linen and then a little iron strip on the outside. And they carried them in front of them. Remember what the mothers of Sparta would say to their soldiers' sons as they went off to war? They would say, come back with your shield or on it. (laughs) That's how strong the shield was. They'd carry you home on your shield, you see. The shield is the shield of faith. And when the enemy shot arrows, not just arrows, but flaming arrows at you, the arrows would go into the shield, and they would extinguish the flame. Now, here's the danger. (laughs) The danger is that my soul has all these pockets of gasoline, all these pockets of gasoline in them. I don't know what yours are. But the people I know, they have little gasoline pockets of sexual lust and gluttony and the relief that comes from alcohol and the love of money and the absolute necessity of having perfect children and all of these things. And all it takes is a little spark. One flaming arrow hits the gasoline in your soul. And the conflagration of lust, gluttony, drunkenness, uh, love of money, all these things just utterly obsesses our soul and we're a raging fire. We are a mess. What do you need as the flaming arrow is coming? He tells you right here. You need the shield of faith. It says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus Christ didn't save me to become a sex maniac or an alcoholic or a, or a, or a glutton or someone who just loves money. Or, or He didn't save me 
to be that. He saved me to be something so much better and sweeter in His eyes. That's why the Apostle John says a verse, and I, I don't think I really understood it until this week. He says in 1 John 5, verse 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. If you're going to defeat sin, if you're going to defeat sin in your life, what are those darling, those big darling sins? In your, if you're going to defeat sin in your life, you need faith, not just self-discipline, not just moral rectitude. You need faith in Jesus Christ that He has made you new, all in that list of things that we study together. How awesome, how awesome is the soldier who has the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, whose feet are shod with peace and can say, my soul is at rest before God. It is well, it is well with my soul. And as the burning arrows fly, you lift up the shield of faith. We're going to pray over these next couple of minutes. And I don't know where your battle in particular is. For some of us, it's just we're tempted to believe lies. What are the lies that you're believing? You need Christ's truth to overcome deception. What truth do you need to claim? Some of us need Christ's righteousness to cover us or to shape us. We're going to pray for that. And this is your particular battle right now. Um, some of us just need shalom. We need Christ's peace in our lives because we are an anxious person. We have anxiety that seems to be driving us. Some of us just need the gift of faith today. So um, I'm going to ask the musicians if they would come up now. And I'm going to let you just do some business with God. We're... And we're also going to just offer ourselves back to the Lord in this time, too. We're going to just offer ourselves back. And, and it's also a convenient time to take the offering, because we forgot to do that earlier. I'd ask the ushers who are going to collect